0: Hello, and welcome to Rugby World Magazine's One Game at a Time, where you get to hear from the world's best rugby players about how they play the game. This episode, a man who epitomises everything that is good about English rugby. Chris Robshaw captained his club and his country, making over 300 appearances, and we revisit what he regards as his finest hour in a Harlequin shirt. It was a fascinating and poignant conversation, and one which reveals both the highs and lows of professional sport. I loved hearing what he had to say about how to get the best out of a team, what he regards as the difference between forwards and backs, and he has some very important advice as to how to support each other. It's a wonderful listen. I do hope you enjoy it. This is One Game at a Time. Chris Robshaw, how are you? Very good to see you.
1: Nice to see you as well. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. We're uh, we're back in training at the moment, so it's been great to to go back in and see everyone and actually uh, have a bit of almost familiarity about going back to work even though we are we've just gone to stage two but we were kind of stage one where you're running in your own lanes you're doing your own weights by yourself you can't touch anyone's weights or at least you can still talk to people and interact with people a little bit rather than stuff like this as nice as your face is on zoom it's um After a while, Zoom quizzes, take their toll, don't they, and hit workouts
0: in the kitchen and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Um, You need to move forward, I think. What have you found most... Well, I tell you what, here's an interesting question. What have you found out about yourself during lockdown?
1: Um, You know what? Like everyone, I had good days and bad days. and I think especially kind of early on, for me, it's when you're at the club, you're always running around. You're always a little bit sore. Um, you're going from meeting to training to getting enthusiastic, to get strapped all this kind of stuff and then you're kind of week to week and then you get home and you've got things to do and sort out and all that and I, I like to be quite busy and it, it really forced me to sit still and take stock because I never do that I, I, and even early stages of lockdown where you really couldn't go out bar the one bit of exercise or walking the dog whatever it was I was almost trying to think of stuff to do and I was like you know what I've just got to I have to relax, there's nothing else I can do at the moment, so just try and do it. It was good, I, I read a couple of books, I watched some TV series. Of course, yeah, it got, it got pretty boring at the end, but initially I was just trying to just be a bit more chilled out, so to speak.
0: The idea behind this podcast is that I get to speak to one player about one game in their career, You've chosen the Aviva Premiership final of 2012. Was was that an easy choice? I mean, I've been through your compilation albums, if you like, your greatest hits. You've got some very good tracks in there. Yeah, I think I think definitely from a club perspective. Of course,
1: internationally it might be a little bit different, but from a, a club point of view, that was definitely the the highlight. And unfortunately, it's a long time ago now. And, and for me, I was I was a local kid. I'm kind of born and raised Surrey and South London, and all that kind of way, um, and Harlequins has always been my team at the top as a kid i've come through the academy to to then go on and captain the club and captain the club things now it's it really is kind of in my DNA so to speak so to do something which a club had never done before and I'm, I'm sure we're touching but just the whole day the atmosphere the god of honor going on um, singing on all going back to the stoop and singing with the fans at the stoop and it really was just an incredible day and And a night out after wasn't too bad either
0: i have to say i was a little surprised to find out your first team debut came back during the 2005 2006 season i mean i know that you had been doing this gig for a long time but that's an extraordinarily long time what's your secret i mean how have you done that
1: (laughs) yeah it is a long time and it's not actually you kind of forget how long it's been i think because you go from season to season to the summer tour to or when I was in the mix, the campaigns and so and so, where you want to be. And, and before that, you're trying to get there. And after that, you're trying to get back there. And it's not until you look back and actually see pictures of yourself in various tops or, or playing with various other players who, like, like them, the likes of Andrew Mertens or Will Greenwood and these type of guys, Penny Fugas. Um, and then, yeah, you're still playing. So it's, it has been a hell of a ride. Um, and unfortunately, it is it is drawing to a
0: close at the club. Perhaps your best place to answer this question: What what's the best bit about being a professional rugby player?
1: For me, it's it's what I've always wanted to do. Uh, as as a kid, I, I've been very uh, very dyslexic as a child, and uh, academic stuff didn't come as easily to me as it came to others. And and my happy place was being out on the pitch or being out playing sports with my mates. And uh, look, there were, there were some fantastic things, but to get to play in front of full house stadiums where the atmosphere is rocking and test yourself against some of the best players in the country or best players internationally on various stages. Uh, that's what it's about. That's what I've always wanted to grow up and do it. And for me, it's continuing to to try and improve. And once you get to that level where you think you can't improve and, and that's never going to come, it's, it's trying to help others as well along the road. And, and now I am that kind of, that older statesman, so to speak. It's helping the Chisholms, Don Bratz, Will Evans, the Lord A's at the club, all these type of young guys coming through and kind of setting them up to so hopefully they can further this club, not only just kind of stay, stay with it, but they can make it a lot better than it ever has been and that's what we're always trying to achieve.
0: What's the worst bit?
1: The worst bit? I think it was January this year, it might be January or February, where it rained every single day. It was freezing cold. And we train on, on a bit of a hill, so the elements come come in. And I think it, it must have been about five degrees. And as forwards, we had to go out early. And we kind of do a lot of set piece before the backs come out. And it was so cold, boys were like huddling together. And we started mauling, we started scrummaging and banging your head. Someone's falling on your finger, someone's trolling your foot. Behind us, you just hear all this giggling. And then you look over and the backs are playing football. <laughs> because they're not getting lifted or anything, they can be in their full track suits, whereas we're in, of course, shorts. And you just look over and you just think, in another life, what I would give to be over there at this moment.
0: That's a good answer. Can, can you articulate what it is that the Quinns do to create such a, a feeling of loyalty amongst their players?
1: Yeah, I think, I think for the, the guys who have been here a long time, it's, it is a club you grew up around. It's, it's kind of your, your club, so to speak, you feel in that kind of part of it, and and you want to achieve it? And I think a lot of us have had that taste for success early on in in our career, and and we've been doing everything we can to try and get back there. Unfortunately, we we we've slipped up here and there, and not quite managed it. Unfortunately, but we're always we're always going out there to try and pursue it. I think to win something for the club you supported as a kid, the club you you've been through, and look for me early on in my career as well. I had a huge amount of setbacks, a huge amount of injuries, and the club stuck by me, uh, and you do want to repay that. But you do want to win stuff as well um, and it's trying to marry both up together
0: we're going to look back and analyze a game how good a, an analyst are you and indeed what what makes a good analyst it
1: depends if i'm sitting next to my wife she uh she doesn't like it when i watch games I kind of things and i moan and i'm like Ugh. and i i probably get a little bit too involved and even if it's a game literally we played that day and then i've gone home to watch it because as professional sports people, we're very analytical of ourselves, even if you, you always want to improve, you always want to get better, but if you've made a mistake, you go back and watch it uh, probably more than if you did something extremely well Um so again, you've, you've just got to be willing, not only to analyse it, but then put in a plan to make it better, so say you you've gone in a game and you passed the ball and it's gone on the floor it's then that week, working on that skill, or if you've slipped off a couple of tackles, it's then going in and Okay, and actually trying to rectify that. It's not just analyzing it, watching it, and thinking, okay, I won't do that again next time. You need to go back out there and fix it. Um, because if you just do the same thing again, it might look, you might just have a bad day. And you, you, we have those days, don't we? You? you have those days where you can't catch anything or you're. You've left your hands at home, or the kicker can't kick anything, or all these have a things. And so then you, but you go straight back to the training pitch and you try and put things right. And improve.
0: just touch on that because that's interesting. You said about watching a game after you'd played it. Do you do you have to do that? is, is that is that a process of a of a Saturday, for instance, that you you play a game? Do, can you not relax until you've sort of been through the process one more time to just sort of get through yeah. through?
1: Yeah, yeah, very much. So a lot of guys, myself included, you don't sleep particularly well after games uh adrenaline caffeine in the system you're a bit beaten up um you've got things like i said if you made a mistake or something you're going through bits in your head all that kind of stuff a good moment you might want to go back or whatever um and then so a lot of guys myself included tend to tend to watch things whether it's that night or the next morning or something like that and then you can always park it enjoy the rest of your sunday enjoy the rest of your weekend with your family and then on monday you'll be reviewing it as a side so you you go through your little areas and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'm definitely one who who liked to see things. You're, because you'd never know. Sometimes it's played out a lot worse in your head
0: than it actually was. So let's set the scene a little for this game. And if you'll indulge me, there is quite some scene, in fact. I, I'd like to go back to, to what happened to the club in, in the wake of not only the Bloodgate scandal, but then, you know, in 2005... That, that season in the championship, C- can you explain the sort of transformation in your view that the sort of club went through during that period in in England's second tier?
1: Yeah, I think Dean Richards was a big impact in that, and I know he doesn't get get spoken too much about when when kind of mentioned Harlequins, but for me and a lot of the players that kind of came through that, he he was he was hugely important to me. He he was a man of a few words, but when he spoke to you, you always. I mean, of who he was, you had that respect anyway for him. But he was always so knowledgeable about stuff, and he would just give you a tough edge, and that's what you always wanted to have. Just whether you'd just be tough to beat, you might not be the most glamorous side or whatever, but you were you were a tough side, and and that's what he was. He was a he was a big man, he was a tough man, and it, and he saw that. And going to the champ, where you're go to some pretty horrible places, especially back then. Now it's a, now it's a little bit different, but going to places where the pitches are going sideways and all that kind of stuff. It was but for me, it was a great opportunity for me because it was my first year playing the year before I'd been injured and played second team and all that kind of stuff. And in that year it allowed me to play in I remember how lucky I was I was playing with likes of Andre Voss, Andrew Merkins, Will Greenwood, Tanny Fuga, these type of guys you've looked up to for so much and you're kind of I remember that first game playing. And I was so in awe of everything going on in the memory. I had a terrible game because you're kind of thinking, Oh my god, what are we do it? How am I here? And then once you put that all aside and you realise they're just good guys who are good good men and all that kind of stuff, you take them for the person rather than the persona and everything else. so once you get that then you just crack into it. But yeah, it was a that was a good year as well because it was almost like a bit of old school rugby. And I think someone like Andrew Murphins was brilliant at that. I don't know how much you know him, but he was a I, I, I never never met a guy before, but he was brilliant at just being so light-hearted. Of course, what he had achieved, what he had done, and then to come down into the championship, we're like, oh my God, is he still coming? All this stuff. And he came and he rolled his sleeves up, he would turn up every week, every training session, and then he'd always invite the lads to go off the beers and have some stuff. So I remember kind of, I can't remember who we played, but they arranged like a boathouse in their clubhouse for us to have a, a drinking competition with them, And it was like, for me, I was, I was a young guy, I thought this was brilliant, whereas a lot of the older guys were like, is this normal? Is this is kind of... But everyone just got involved and I think it was a lot more social.
0: What about Connor O'Shea's role in, in, in this? I mean, it is well documented, but can you explain how his sort of style of leadership worked on you as a, as a group of players going all the way through to 2012?
1: Yeah, Connor was, again, another a brilliant man for the club and, and we see the success and stuff we had with him. He was... The most positive man I've ever met, I think, in terms of if a glass wasn't half full, he would change a glass. Everything was positive, everything. And that, that rubs off on you. We were a young group of players. Yeah, we had a couple of older guys in kind of the Nick Easters, Evansers, Moface Blue, these other guys. But generally, we were quite a young squad. And he believed in us. He said, I'll oh, back you to the hills, go out and play. We're going to keep on playing. But And people always say, yeah, we played. But we also had a very, we had a dominant pack at that period. We had a very heavy scrum. We were good mould. likes of uh, James Johnson and Ollie Cohn, some serious weight up there, and that kind of puts you on the front foot. And then on the back of that, then you can play a little bit more. But it was definitely his positivity, his belief in the squad, which which did allow us to to
0: progress. Let's go forward to to this final, 2012, the Aviva Premiership final. Let's let's have a look at these two teams. It's the uh, it's the Leicester team first off. I'll read it out for the uh, podcast listeners. At 15 and full-back, Jordan Murphy, he captained the side. 14 and wing, Horatio Aguja. Uh, The centre partnership was Manu Tuolangi and Antti Allen. On the left wing was Alessano Tuolangi. Half-back partnership with George Ford and Ben Youngs. Front row, Marcus Ayetzer, George Shooter, Dan Cole. And then a second row partnership of Skivington and Parling. And a back row of Steve Murphy, Julian Salvi and Thomas Waldrum. There aren't many weaknesses in that 15, are there? They were not,
1: um, and I think that was the thing. We actually played them a couple of weeks before, a couple of weeks before that, maybe even five weeks before at the stoop, and we we had a hell of a game i don't I don't think we actually got a point out of it, but it was something like a 35 30 game It was end to end. It was excited, and even going into that final, we I think in the whole history of us playing against them in in almost like 40 games, I think we had won five. It was it was something ridiculous how few times we had actually beaten Leicester, but we actually went away to uh, not not Dubai, sorry, Abu Dhabi. We were sponsored by Etihad at the time, and it was back in the day when the European final would be the week before. So if you were in a semi final, you would have a week off and then go into the final if you weren't the European. So we had a kind of a corporate gig over there where Etihad took us over. Yes, we did a a little bit of kind of commercial bits, but it was more about warm weather training. And the fantastic thing was. It was so warm. We couldn't train past about ten o'clock in the morning, so we'd we'd be up early, and then then we'd be on the golf course, we'd be on boat trips, we'd be having some beers, all this kind of stuff at like water parks, and it was like Is this kind of how you prepared for finals. But it actually, it and and we were a very close group of players that year in particular. But I think that really helped in terms of that team bonding, and I actually think it almost it took us away from the pressure cooker of being here. We were away from all the media outlets. We were away from kind of, I mean, social media wasn't a, as prolific as it is now and, and blogs and all that kind of stuff. So we weren't really doing interviews for that week because we were we were out of the country and no one was flying over to the Abu Dhab. So we, it allowed us to completely escape and just, yeah, train properly, uh, prepare as well as possible, but also enjoy each other's company and have good fun. And, and it set us in a fantastic position going into the game because it was a boiling hot day as well, uh, the final. Um going into that, it was great.
0: Because I was going to ask about the fact that, that Leicester had had this sort of moment a few weeks beforehand over you in the premiership, you know, rugby style. They'd, they'd beaten you. And I was going to sort of say, you know, uh, what had happened, you know, what was the chat in huddles leading up to this game? But it sounds as though <laughs> the antidote to it was perhaps not talking about it, <laughs> doing everything other than that.
1: Yeah, look, don't get me wrong. We, we had actually spoken a little bit about them and said, um, in past that the Tigers had had struggled in finals as well. That yes, they have had a huge amount of success and don't get it wrong, they're a lot dominant than, than Queens have ever been in, in terms of that stuff. But in recent times, Nick Eastwood kind of done some research and said, actually, you know what, they they struggle. And maybe this is this is our chance. And, and in finals anything can happen. You, you you just have to play well in the day. Everything kind of I think we had led the premiership for pretty much from week one. Um, but then that all kind of goes out the window, doesn't it? So for us, it was about just make sure we turn up. And again, that's where Connor became so good. He said, "Look, this is about us. We believe so much in in the product of our game at the time. If we, of course, there are threats and there are some serious threats in in the names you mentioned, but if we can do what we believe we can do. We can match them. But as soon as we slip off, or if we're two percent off, unfortunately, we're gonna we're
0: gonna come unstuck." Let's look at this Harlequin side as well. Fifteen and fullback Mike Brown. Fourteen and and on the right wing Tom Williams. Centre partnership of George Lowe and Jordan Turner Hall. On the left wing Hugo half Halfbacks Nick Evans and, and Danny Kerr. A front row of Joe Marler, Joe Gray, and James Johnston. Uh, second row engine room of Ollie Cohen and George Robson. Uh, uh, six Maori Fa'asevivala. Foul Savalu and number seven, Chris Robshaw, yourself captaining the side, and number eight, Nick Easter. Well, when you see those teams and when you see those names, what do you think of?
1: Yeah, I, I think for us, and I, I, I remember kind of Connor saying it, if he was always like, if I could have named my team to go out there at the start of the season to play in that final, that would be his side. And of course, that, that was the thing which also. We had a bit of luck in terms of that. Toby Flood pulled out just before the game, of course, uh, a big loss. I know George Ford's an incredible player, but he was he was young at the time. I think he was only eighteen or something. Um, compared to someone like Floody, who I think was starting for England at that kind of time, and this was our full-strength side, bar bar none, I think. So yeah, we were we were kind of as prepared as well as possible, and and kind of put a lot of faith in in this kind of squad and. He wasn't a massive believer of rotation too much, and these guys tended to tended to go out there and play in, until they couldn't really, which was fair enough. It, it got us where we needed to be, and he backed that, and all the players really bought into that because they wanted to go out there and, and win something. So when I when I saw the squad, I had a great fun playing with these guys in that back row. It was it was brilliant to play against those two fantastic players, both very diff- all very different players to each other, um, but it gave us a great balance to the side, I think.
0: Can you remember a game plan?
1: Yeah, look, I think I think for us it was we didn't really want to get into an arm wrestle with them, their their pack. I think it was Ayers, Shooter, and Castro. Castro on the it, bench, think, yeah, yeah. Or Dan Cole, sorry, and Dan Cole and Cole, yeah. They had they had a very good kind of set piece. So again, we we were pleased with our set piece, but. This was still less of a set piece, and they, they take some kind of undoing. So we want to try keep the ball alive. We want to try keep keep kind of playing, stretch them, uh, and then Gats would think we thought we were fitter than them, and uh, them being traditionally a big pack, all that kind of stuff. And we wanted to keep the ball alive if we're going to keep keep it in field, um, little things like that.
0: Well, let's take you to the action. There's a full match highlights package which uh, we're going to sort of cherry pick from. Uh, and the first time code that I'm going to give our podcast listeners, because they will be able to sort of watch along as well, is 42-22. sort of 22, uh, And this is the last few moments before you you take the field. Um, I'm going to press play. You tell me what you are thinking about here.
1: Before you go into this, it was the, the fans or the, the Quinn's Foundation or or the club themselves had actually arranged for, we always, whenever we play at Twickenham, we, we always park at the stoop, we have our meetings, we have some food, and then we walk over the bridge and over the road, as it, it's probably a 600-metre walk or something like that. Um, and they had actually arranged a guard of honour for us the whole way there. And it was just incredible. It was, it brought a tear to a number of guys' eyes. It was, because I think as players, you you always know how much it means to fans and how much it means to people. But you know what, every now and then it, it's not a bad thing just reminding people. And I think for us it definitely it showed that because as you're walking in you would see your friends, you would see your family and of course uh, the thousands of other Queen supporters and it was it was honestly incredible. And to run out there for that first, well our first final at Twickenham, I, I was very lucky. I'd got to play, play in the Six Nations previously and Captain England, but a very different feel, a very different feel, almost felt kind of, of course, when you go to England, there's a lot of pressure and tension and all that kind of stuff. And it almost kind of felt like they were going out, It was almost like festival-y and it was almost like a party atmosphere. And maybe that was something to do. It was a boiling hot day and all those kind of things. But yeah, it was It was a perfect setup
0: for us. It's an interesting idea, that, isn't it? Connecting you before one of the biggest games for your club very seriously to your club by allowing you to really sort of almost be able to reach out and touch the people who are effectively the most important in it all the fans as a a stroke of genius almost
1: it really honestly it really was and it made us it made guys teary it made guys really think about it before going out there and and even if some guys said it and some guys didn't they were it was in people's heads and it was in the back of people's minds and for them to go out there and and then see their their emotions, their faces, their the cheers, the support, because people care. And and for us, we've never been in that before. I know Leicester have, have obviously had a, a lot more success in terms of Premiership and all that kind of stuff, but had almost been there and done it. And for us, it was so special. And for them, it was so special. It was about seeing
0: that. I'm going to skip forward to uh, a couple of seconds past the 50-minute mark on the YouTube clip. And it's a scrum. Now, before I press play and we watch this unfold, because it un- unfolds in a particular way, I want you to explain and talk about your role in a scrum as a as an open side flanker. You're behind Joe Marler in this one. Uh, let, let's focus on him. What does he need for, from you at scrum time?
1: Yeah, a lot of, I mean, look, from, from the back row point of view, you're, you're going to push as hard as you can. And, and if they want certain angles or whatever, you'll try and do that. But you're just going to add as much weight as possible. But a, a lot of it is is bringing energy. It's it's making sure they're focused every scrum, It's making sure they're concentrated. Because they are the key components in it. Of course, you can add and you can help, but they are the, the, the key focus. So again, it's making sure they're in the best possible shape and, and giving them as much support whether that's verbally or physically, as you can.
0: Now, I am going to press play, uh, and we see this scrum wheels and creates a, a good blindside break. In commentary, there was a claim that this was a, a sort of pre-organised move. Was it?
1: Um, no, I, I, I don't know too much about that. It would have, I, I doubt it. I, w- I would have thought that, that Danny Kerr is a very, very sharp player. And if he thinks that even if he has half a yard, he's generally getting outside many back row. And if a scrum goes like that, you'd be you'd be silly to actually go the other way. Because if you go the other way, you're picking up straight into their seven, you're going back into their nine. Whereas here, he's seen a gap, he's gone with it. And and that was the other thing. We we backed each other. If someone felt on the pitch, they could do something. As long as they made it happen, we'll support them. And 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 most of the time, guys have that belief, they do make things happen. And I think when you have a talented, talented individuals like sort Danny or Nick Evans used to have the guys. They are special and they, they do need, they need that support when they go off and do things because most times they make something happen. So you just have to react. It. And that was a massive thing. It was reacting to each other and, and playing what we saw or what we felt as well.
0: Now we're going to leap forward to 53 minutes and 21 seconds. It's a line-out which eventually produces Harlequin's opening score on the right-hand side. There are a few breakdowns involved in this as well. Uh, if I press play, can you, can you talk us through what Quinns get right here?
1: Yeah, I think, firstly, we, we didn't get the line-up <laughs> right. Um, but when you've got someone like Mo at the back who manages to get you over the game line, you you fix and solve the problem. Quick ball, Jordan Turner Hall was was incredible for those kind of seasons pre-injury, getting over the game line. And, and that was a massive part of our game, those little tips here and there, little inside balls, just keeping the ball alive, probably better than others. I think a lot of people, and of course, great play by the, Two out wide and Tommy going in the corner. I think a lot of people are seeing with Harlequins. We played wide wide a lot of the time, but we but we really didn't. A lot of the time, we actually played through the guts of teams and kind of managed to find little shoulders here and there. And you get kind of half a yard over the game line, and then you get a couple of yards, and then all of a sudden something something creates hopefully more often than a knot. Uh, but yeah, that, and that was kind of epitomised by that keeping the ball alive. Uh, Nick Easter and George Robson, I think it was. Um, and then, yeah, it creates space out wide because people have to come in. I mean,
0: it looks simple when it rolls through, but, but my guess is that there is a huge amount of ingrained processes that, that, are, that, are, that are formed over seasons. You know, people getting used to, to certain situations and, and reacting in a certain way to, to what they can see in front of them. Would, would I be wrong?
1: Yeah, it does, but we, we were trained that way. And I, I think you, yes, we were playing, but we were a very physical side as well. Defensively, we were good. Like I said, with our set piece, with Ollie Cohn and James Johnson, we were big. We were physical. Nick Easton, most These were big men. Joe Marler, big man. These type of guys. We had a relatively big pack then as well. And and you have to remember, rugby is a physical game. And more than not, if you can get that physical dominance, and we did in a lot of occasions, you can things do become easier because you can create quick ball and the likes of Danny and Nick. Are, are incredible players when, they hit, when they're on the front foot, like like a lot of nines and tens are.
0: I can only imagine that that was uh, just the start that Quinns would have wanted. I'm I'm going to jump ahead to one hour, 16 uh, minutes and 16 seconds on the YouTube clip. It, it's another line-out, but this time things go wrong. C- can you remember what you were thinking as this played out? Joe Gray with the, uh, the line-out throw. And again, it's missed at the top.
1: Yeah, so far he's missed two.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah,
1: and actually, look, that was fair play to Coley as well. I, I re- I've always roomed with Dan Cole with England as well. And after this, we were straight in, I think two days after this, we were sharing a room off to South Africa or something. And I was like, I've never seen you pass a ball before, so why'd you start there? <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he made the right decision. He put, And I think someone like Matthew, again, he, he had an incredible season that season. And that and that guy in open space, he's he's going to run it in from fifty out. So look, it was it was frustrating that it was our mistake, but credit to them. And and that was almost a reminder. Yes, we had, we had got off to a great start, but but they can hurt you very very quickly. And you're in a final. Nothing's given. Uh, and they were kind of the key reminders for us.
0: How, how frustrated can you get out on the pitch? I know that sounds a strange question, because obviously you are frustrated at, at, at giving a side like Leicester this sort of way back in, but uh, how, how quickly do you have to sort of move on from being frustrated? You, of
1: course you do. You kind of have your little chat in the, um, behind the post in a huddle or whatever, and then it's with a saying, and it's, it sounds very obvious, it was next job. Whatever has happened, it is about the next job, and it's that next focus to go out there and the fix. So, then it was about to restart. I think Ugo then went and won the ball back because um, he was so good at claiming those balls down the middle.
0: Uh, and that was, that was it. We're going to skip on even further. One hour, 51 uh, minutes and 17 seconds. Uh, but before I do, w- when we get there, uh, viewers will see that the Quinn score has progressed through the boot of your incredible fly half. Let's just have a quick detour. Because I've had many people refer to him as the best import that the Premiership has ever had. But, but for you, what was the best thing about Nick Evans? What, what was his best quality? It definitely wasn't his dress sense when he first came. <laughs> um,
1: I, 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 think, I think in, in all seriousness, he, he changed the game for us in terms of, yes, we always claimed we were a fast playing side and all this stuff. But, but he really changed that. He was, of course, he was an incredible kicker, but it was his speed. His speed of the mark, well, he was like a winger, but he had the skill set of of some of the best out there. His, his control of a game, his ability to put people in the right space, but, but also he was he's he a good lad off the field as well. He's still a, associated with Harlequins. He's backs coach, skills coach, and he was he was just incredible. He definitely, I think, the best important that this premiership has seen some incredible imports look at lots of scalperets and uh, chabals and lobes and I mean there are there are too many to even think of. And he is definitely, yeah, definitely up there for sure. Well,
0: let's press play and and let's see how this unfolds. And, and I'll sort of talk it through because uh, the ball comes back and then is hoisted into the air, uh, eventually Youngs to, to Ford and then a crossfield kick and it's Mike Brown underneath it. Just a little word about just how reliable this man is.
1: Yeah, he is. Um, and he always has been, which is... And, and that's what you want, your kind of last line of defence. You want someone to be solid that if the ball goes up or if someone does break through, then... Then they are gonna deal with it. And and he has, and still to this day, he he's as reliable as ever. Obviously, he's he's come back from knee injury at the moment, but he's looking looking in good shape. Um, but yeah, he tends to tends to more often and not deal with things. And, and that's something which as a team you rely on.
0: This so nearly ends up in a in an opportunity. You just find uh, tigers sort of bite in and there's some space down here and, and it could have been something, Nick Evans almost could have perhaps pinned his ears back and gone into the corner there do you remember thinking that that might have been an opportunity missed?
1: Yeah I think whenever you get a couple of metres out or, or something like that you, you want to take them because they don't come around too often we always say kind of in these type of levels and when you're playing very competitive sides you get you get two or three opportunities and you've got to be good enough to take them. Because if not, the opposition probably will. And, and then it's tough. Of course, you you don't want to have to rely on penalties and all this stuff, you want to be able to create things. And if you can hopefully, hopefully make the most of it and take these opportunities, of course you're extremely successful.
0: So let's play, again, we're at 1 minute 53 and 38 seconds on the YouTube clip. And, and, and let's let's roll this through, because this, this leads to, humility aside, the game-winning moment. And uh, and if you could just talk about what your thoughts were, the, the lead-up to this and how this played out.
1: Yeah, again, we, we went for a trick play here. We knew they had bite in, and, and John Kingston, our forwards coach at the time, was very much about that. So, yeah, getting the line-up, getting, getting the ball into Moe's hands as many times as possible. And as soon as we did that, again, it's keeping the ball alive. It's going through the guts of them. Um, it's getting over the game line, and then we had advantage. I think when you have advantage, it's it's kind of a, an all out play. And then I've just I've just seen kind of Castro here looking in, and I've just I've just hit a, a really nice line, and luckily Danny's hit me. And yeah, I, I don't score many, uh, but uh, it's definitely the I think the best try for me I've ever scored, and the one that will definitely remain me for life and just a just feeling of the boys jumping on me and it was a pretty special moment I must admit.
0: And it is. does it unfold like that? Does it unfold in that blink of an eye? You, you see something that sort of comes to fruition very, very quickly. There's an opportunity. If I do this, then I'm in. Does, is that how it works?
1: Yeah, you, when you're in the moment, you don't really think about it. You think you're going to hit this line and then you, you see someone looking slightly differently or you see a slight hole and, and you just go for it. I think it's all about instinct if you think about stuff it's normally too late in, in those type of moments and if you're and then things are covered up things have changed and myself and Danny like I said have been playing with each other for an extremely long time and even then we've, we've been playing together for a while um so we had a we had a pretty good understanding and and those type of lines nine times out of ten you normally get smashed in in all honesty um or you get a meter over the game line it's it's not like that but for uh, yeah, to to find a small gap and to, to score a try and, a, and then Nick's Nick knocks over as well, which is great.
0: What was the talk in the huddle? Because obviously there there isn't, you know, a huge amount of time left, but there's plenty of time left in it for, for Leicester Tigers being Leicester Tigers, surely.
1: Yeah, I think it was more, we were, you could sense the guys were excited. The guys were buzz. Like, we look, there's a, a pretty flattering scoreline at this point. But there was still, I can't see the clock, was it 20 minutes left, was it or not?
0: Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Two or twenty
1: minutes left, and, and that's when good sides come. So it's about, like I said, when we when we weren't very good in terms of that next job focus, and and unfortunately the next bit kind of put some real pressure on us because we we probably did switch off. Ben Youngs really really stepped up his game and caused us some serious issues.
0: Well, let's skip ahead to two two minutes, 16. We're going to let this sort of play out. This is is the last five minutes of this game. And, I mean, there are so many twists and turns. There are so many different things going on here. You, You can sense a little bit when we start to press play and we're watching at two minutes, 16 and 16 seconds here, as this sort of set of plays runs out for Quinns, you can, you can sort of sense that you are trying to steer it, you are trying to control it, you are trying to play it through. How difficult is it to protect a lead?
1: I think when stuff like this happens, it's about, it's almost like you can't just shut down completely. It's the times when you, when you do shut down, when you do stop playing that you do, teams catch you up because you go into a shell, you then make the odd mistake and then kind of teams pull you back in. Whereas I think you still have to be aggressive. Of course, it's about not being quite as aggressive, and it's about being controlled. But as soon as you shut up shop, you just you're waiting there to be shot at, so to speak.
0: I mean, in a way, is it is it easier to play? And you would have been in Leicester's position, in a sense, you know, in other games, is it easier to be the Leicester Tigers in this situation than it is to be Harlequins?
1: No, but potentially because there's no fear, you've got no kind of pressure on you. You're kind of you have to do something. You have to do something because if not, it's going to be over. So th- there is a little bit of that, and and from our side of point, our point of view, sorry, we hadn't been in that position before. We hadn't been in the final. We hadn't been beaten Leicester by that kind of margin. So again, it was, and we we probably I can't see what the time is on the clock. We probably
0: three minutes fifty. We've got left yeah.
1: Yeah, we've probably shut up a little bit too much. Maybe we should have put it behind them and let them play from their own kind of twenty-two and just said, "Are you good enough?" there's no situation the ref doesn't want to see the game like that and they're always looking for a a way to ping something so anything slightly off or slightly which might not get kind of refed in the game normally gets picked up then. so
0: Yeah, Ugo got, got isolated there and, 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 and got penalised. Um, and there's another moment happening which I just want to talk about as well because this is, this is is there must be an element on the pitch. This is Nick Evans coming off and Rory Clegg going on. I mean, it's a seven-point game. You're, you're, you're taking off your, your goal kicker. Was, was there any discussion, any thought in your mind about the fact that, you know, if Leicester were to score, it might go to extra time? You know, taking Nick Evans off, it's a big call there. Yeah,
1: I, I think there must have been some. Something wrong with him. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it must be. He's not the type of guy to normally come off, especially with what was it, three minutes left or whatever. You're not normally taking off one of your your kind of key guys then, unless something isn't isn't quite right. He's getting a couple of ice packs on him, so I think he must have, or he must have just been shot. He must have been. The heat was draining. We'd played like I said, we didn't rotate the squad much throughout the year. And it was tough.
0: And not straight throw there from Tom Youngs. There's pressure on everyone at Twickenham, isn't there?
1: There is. And that that was a massive sigh of relief for us. That was, again, we can slow the clock down. We could probably take 30 seconds in a scrum here to to get it set up. Maybe someone's lace comes undone quickly or little tricks of the trade like that. Um, But yeah, definitely it allowed us to, most importantly, get the ball back.
0: This is a scrum which um, you get to put into, as, you, as you've alluded to, but it's one that goes uh, pretty drastically wrong. Leicester have brought two new prop forwards on. Your two boys are still there, still toiling in the heat. I mean, that, that is, that is a, a defiant blast from Wayne Barnes, and your heart must have sunk.
1: Yeah, the worst possible case for that is that not only now we're in the clock down, we've then given them the ball back, and, and like I said, had a, they've had a huge scrum against us. Put us in the corner. Leicester Mall is is a scary thing. You look at the history of what they've done, and and it was a very nervous time for us. We were we were scrambling. We were trying trying to get the clock to go as quickly as possible. All this kind of stuff, and and you almost felt them. They had momentum. They had confidence about them, and we were we were hanging on really, like really.
0: Talk about the choices here at Line Out because obviously there are some, and you choose not to compete and try and compete on the ground.
1: Yeah, it was more just we didn't want to try win the ball back. It was literally just. We knew how that dangerous their mall was. It was literally just, just pile into it, just stop it, whatever it has to take. Even if they, they got a penalty there, they were going to go to the corner or something. again. Yeah. So it was literally just, just kill the clock and, and kind of, yeah, Stay down, all men are kind of battle stations.
0: Yeah, Leicester don't really make this sort of free play count. And and Wayne Barnes goes back for the penalty, and you can see uh, it will pan up to to Richard Cockrell, who I think is gesticulating with Matt O'Connor about the fact that there may have been a yellow card. Was there? Was there any chat on the pitch? Do you remember that? Do you remember sighing, you know, relief that that you weren't going to go down to fourteen men?
1: I, I don't think looking at that, I don't I don't think that was too cynical in terms of that. I think someone was in a slight edge. I, I don't, and I think we hadn't been pinged for kind of moves before. I think that you know, would have been quite harsh to get a yellow there. But I, I understand it it probably was a penalty. I can't see exactly who went inside, but it probably was. But to give a yellow card for someone to go inside, the side, I think that would be a bit a bit
0: much. And another line out well claimed this time by Leicester and they surge and it is battening down the hatches time for Quinn's.
1: Yeah, we managed to we managed to sack that again we look split. We we look kind of all over the place there. and then it's just get your hands in the balls, stop it coming out, or slow it down as much as possible. Again, it gives them another opportunity, and sometimes the scrum can be more dangerous here, because you're five metres out, we're, we're literally asking for the ball to, <laughs> the whistle's gone, and he's saying it's one more scrum.
0: I was going to say, you you come forward to have a, a chat with Wayne Barnes, and, and, and your role as captain comes to the fore there, and discussions can be crucial.
1: Well, we, we were pleading for the whistle, basically. I think it was... I think the time was up on the clock. I can't see exactly, but it was pretty close. Yeah, it was up. So I was kind of saying, oh, look, we're done, it's over. Um, and he, unfortunately, wasn't agreeing with me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, thoughts? Can you remember anything leading into this scrum and, and leading into this final passenger play?
1: Just just nerves. Just literally give it everything. Give this scrum everything. Do not let them walk us over here. And then, as a backline, defend for your life. And that was, look at that hit. That was a fantastic hit by us exactly what we wanted and it was just just hunt them down whatever it takes
0: it was and and again the breakdown comes into its own and and, and it's eventual great piece of pickpocketing by well I think it's yours truly isn't it
1: yeah look, I, I think it was a good hit by Danny he managed to to get him get him down he was isolated and then it was locking onto that ball and I wasn't wasn't letting go even if it me and my hamstrings were going to come off it was it was it was in there that tight and doing whatever it would take. And yeah, luckily, and even at this point now when we the game's won and we think we've won, the rest says we have to kick the ball off and everyone's kind of all over the pitch celebrating. And I was, the Cleggy. we were like, just where can you kick it off? So that's where I just said to Wayne there, can we kick it behind the post? So there's no chance of even not that apply fly half wood but shanking it or just risking anything. <laughs> so it was like, there's no one anywhere near we'll chase him and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, he, he kicked the ball behind and um, yeah, the celebrations could could begin. Fully.
0: Incredible scenes you know I- incredible emotion and and as we sort of alluded to you know it was it was the the destination of a of a truly incredible Harlequin's journey.
1: Yeah it really was and I think the players were just exhausted there like you said there is but it's almost embracing each other hugs that it had been so long there's there's no really jumping up and down Bar Hugo, he probably saved all his energy for the celebrations um and again, we were just out on our feet, but it's also having compassion and empathy for for the Leicester guys, a lot, a lot of friends in that side. Like I said, I room with Dan all the time with England. So again, it was it was kind of being there for them, but also enjoying it. It was enjoying it because it was a very special thing and and unfortunately it's it's not come back, not come back since.
0: Yeah, truly wonderful pictures and, and memories, not just for Harlequin's fans, but for, for sort of Premiership rugby fans. I, I think this will really resonate well with them. I'm going to put a pause on it. But before I let you go, I do want to talk about your your career as a whole. And and around one area in particular, you know, looking through this game, I think everyone will be reminded just how good the moments were that you were in your career. But we have lots of young players and, and, and listeners tuning in. And perhaps it would be disingenuous of us to paint the picture that, you know, a rugby player's career is one long victory parade. When things were tricky, when things weren't going your way, how did you deal with that? And what's your advice for, for people coping with tough situations?
1: Yeah, it, it, international sport, professional sport is, is a huge roller coaster. And I've been very lucky to, to be in some incredible highs and the top of mountains and all this kind of stuff. And I've been in some of the deepest trust, unfortunately. It's about having a thick, a thick skin about you, it's about surrounding yourself with good people who can help you when you need it. Because you're not an island and we all need help. And if I was by myself, but if I didn't have the support of others, whether that be post-World Cups or bad losses or all this kind of stuff, who knows if you would have come back and who knows if you could have made it back out. But good people around me. But I think most importantly, there was a huge amount of people who reached out to me who I wouldn't necessarily have thought would have reached out to me, who, who were there for me. So I think if you see someone struggling, if you know someone's struggling, don't rely on someone else to help them. I think be there be there for each other. But I think in, in all of this in, it's about being resilient. Like in anything in life, there's good times and bad times and you have to you you have to take the rough with the smooth. Keep on working to get to where you want to be, because I guarantee when you get there it'll be so worth it. And, and for me to like I said, win stuff with Harlequins, to win stuff with England, to captain England through the good and the bad times, that's what it's about. And and they're the times which in, in time, they're the ones you'll remember.
0: You've announced a move to San Diego Legion. You will play out whatever happens with this season in the Premiership and and then move to MLR. Amazingly, there is more left in the tank (laughs) I can't quite believe it myself but there seemingly is I don't think anyone is naive enough to think that uh, a good salary for a few more years wasn't a big part of that decision to move to to North America but but what does excite you what else does excite you about North American rugby at the moment?
1: Yeah look in in all seriousness it it wasn't a financial decision for me it was about having an experience and having a a cultural change a life experience for me like I said I'm I'm born and raised in kind of Surrey, South London-based. And it's all I've ever known. I've been at Harlequin 17 years, boy and man, and I supported the kid as a kid. And it was about, while I'm still playing well, while I'm still playing 80 minutes every week, to go and have, yes, play in a different league, a different environment, but have a good experience off the pitch. Um, I, I live in Wandsworth and that's not a bad area to live in, but I hear Southern California isn't bad either. Um I hear they do kind of their they train and they're done kind of early afternoons and they go and do the recovery on the beach, they go surfing. You know I think it's gonna be fun and, and for me it's things are very serious here and, and they always have been because you're where you want to get to and where you want to achieve and it's about going over there and, and really enjoying it and make the most of, of that experience. And look, I'm sure we'll we'll come back here at some point. Uh but for a couple of years I think you know what, it's gonna I think it's gonna be a bit of fun.
0: I don't think anyone will begrudge you that. In the not-too-distant future, then, there will come a time when you're not playing professional rugby. How would you like to be remembered, Chris Robshaw?
1: Well, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't really know. I think, I think someone who, who, who left it all out there, who always gave it his all, yes, yeah, sometimes it unfortunately didn't come off, but who always did his best for the side. Always did the best for the people around him and his team and his environment, and wanted to try and be successful. And like I said, unfortunately, it didn't always come off, but, but sometimes it did. And I think for for me and a lot of people, that that hard work can get you a, a long way in life. So for those people who are struggling, those people who are having setbacks, stick with things, stick with things, continue to try and strive to get better, and then hopefully you'll, you'll see the rewards later on in life.
0: It's been a bit of privilege talking to you sir for me you are an utter embodiment of what english rugby has come to mean over the last 15 years we at rugby world wish you all the best in the united states and on behalf of everyone listening our sincerest gratitude for allowing us to delve into what has been an incredible career and chris robshaw thank you for giving us your one game at a time
1: no pleasure pleasure it was uh, good fun like i said it was nice to go back over it